0: I want this to come from not a resentful place because I'm not resentful about anything. I'm not a victim or anything like that. I'm actually in a very healthy space. So this is for those that are angry in the world right now with what they're going through. They're right
1: in the middle of it.
0: Yes, when you're right in the middle of it because you, I'm giving you permission to have those feelings. You are allowed to be angry.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I'm Matt.
0: I'm Paige.
1: And we're going to get through this as best we can. I'm dealing with a sickling over here. Yeah, sorry. Tell, tell him what you did.
0: I didn't go to the doctor in time, so my strep turned into bronchitis. <laughs>
1: Love the accountability there, man. Just out with it. That's exactly right. I live with an 80-year-old man who doesn't believe in doctors.
0: That's bullshit. And I when, do believe in doctors.
1: <laughs> and when she gets sick, she's like, huh. uh
0: i thought it was viral okay and when it's viral they can't do anything for you but then matt went he started getting the symptoms he's like i'm gonna go to the doctor and he did and they gave him a prescription because he had strep so i was like oh well shit i am way suspected past this. i
1: had strep because my throat hurt just like yours did three days prior I was well, like, if it's strep it's great news because but i had congestion all this other it. stuff
0: with it too okay y'all this is just one of my character defects okay
1: Anyway, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice a toilet paper roll <laughs> oh, yeah. on our desk.
0: Because I went through two boxes of Kleenexes yesterday. Y'all,
1: she filled up like yard garbage bags. This
0: is good tool paper, though. It's not like totally tearing up my nose.
1: That's that four ply.
0: So I apologize in advance that I sound ridiculous. I don't nasally. know why. I Y'all, I used to not ever get sick. I don't know what's going on this year. I've been getting sick a lot. If we listen to some of the podcasts, it's like I'm constantly getting a bug. So don't know what the hell's going Kids on. Kids
1: will do that to you.
0: Uh, maybe just have the kids. kids,
1: they said. it will be awesome. <laughs> so they said. much fun. It'll be great. All right.
0: So, anyway, apologize in advance. So, what are we talking about today, Boo?
1: Okay. We're going to get into a topic I think that needs to be addressed. And we've addressed it here many times, but we've got a lot of new listeners, a lot of new people who are coming in, a lot of people who have just recently discovered us and what we're about. So, this topic started over the weekend when we sat down to watch TV. Just going through Amazon Prime looking at documentaries and one that popped up was Bill W. And I've seen um there was a movie with what who was the guy that played Lieutenant Dan? Remember him? Uh, I don't remember the actor's name.
0: Uh, dang it. Okay.
1: Doesn't he have like sort of a feminine name? Or am I no, his, completely it's a, off base? It starts with an S. There's an
0: at the end of the last the last name is like an S.
1: Well anyway. Sk- Someone's screaming in their car right now I know. saying, It's
0: this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so,
1: sorry. Uh it, anyway, I'd seen that movie uh where he portrays Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson is the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was married to Lois Wilson. And so the documentary covers the story of Bill Wilson starting Alcoholics Anonymous. It starts with him pre-drinking, goes through his drinking sprees up until the time he starts AA and then and then post-AA. And his wife, Lois Wilson, is featured pretty prominently in this. And every time they talk about her, your heart kind of breaks because they talk about her struggles as being the spouse of the most famous alcoholic of all time and what he endured to get this thing started. And just a, a brief synopsis, he he was unavailable to her while he was a drunk, obviously. Yeah. Uh, when he got sober... He dove into that program as hard as one can, and became unavailable to her as he helped other people, and then he became unavailable as the the front man of Alcoholics Anonymous and being caught up in, you know, all of that, setting up the traditions to make sure that the fellowship you know, would be around long after he was gone. And it's almost like right at the very end of their life, she got a few good years with him before he passed away ultimately. Yeah, of emphy- emphysema. He's a, a big smoker. Yeah. But I just, she's like this tragic figure in this beautiful story about this famous alcoholic. And it's just like, man, is that just not the most, is that just the the best way to like surmise the way that codependents and spouses of alcoholics are portrayed in general? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the forgotten partner today. I think it's a fitting topic. I think that it's something we cover here and for new listeners and for old ones as well. I think this will be validating for you. And I hope that you find something here that makes you feel like you're not alone and that you do deserve a voice. Yeah. By all means. You were just about to get going. I heard the engine. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. You're letting me talk. Thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. So after we watched this documentary, I thought it would be a good idea. Hey, let's search for some documentaries on the spouses. You know, so we searched Alan anon or Lois or- Codependent. Codependent. And there was not very many movies that popped up. There was a movie with Winona Ryder that popped up that was about Lois. What was it called? When, when Love is Not Enough, something like that. I think that. so. I think you're right. Yeah. And then there were, I couldn't find like an actual documentary, but it kept popping up with addict documentaries
1: one after another one after another there were there were
0: parades there were um you know the show intervention there were so many documentaries about how these addicts you know about the disease and how they got through it and all this and that and i'm just like it kind of triggered me like it really did we were sitting in bed and i just kind of let loose i was cussing and 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 I am I want this to come from not a resentful place because I'm not resentful about anything. I'm not a victim or anything like that. I'm actually in a very healthy space. So this is for those that are angry in the world right now with what they're going through. They're right
1: in the middle of it.
0: Yes. When you're right in the middle of it, because you, I'm giving you permission to have those feelings. You are allowed to be angry, but it pissed me off because I feel like we have been forgotten and we have gone through so much shit By loving so hard, we love so hard in our relationships and we get forgotten. There's nothing out there. Like there are some things out there. There are some resources out there. I'm not going to downplay that. There are some, but not nearly as many as there are for the addicts.
1: No, like I don't know when the turn happened, but sometime in the last decade, um, being in recovery kind of became like a badge of honor and like something really cool and something admired. And it doesn't so much have the stigma that it used to. Yeah. Because so many people have dealt with it, like have we done the stats on this? I yeah, we we did. We
0: have. I mean, it's very common, obviously. Like, there's a lot of people struggling with that out there. And I praise you. I think it's amazing what you went through. I think it's very, like, you. Kudos to you. You deserve a fucking trophy. There's nothing wrong with that. But what about the ones who suffered from your hands? Yeah, I'm. What about the ones who have had to deal with? the trauma? What about the ones who just were doing the right thing as much as we could and we're getting shit on? Like, where's our voice? Where's our trophy? Yes, I know you can go to meetings and you can get it. It's not the same. This is different. It's not as big as it is for you guys.
1: Yeah. it, It doesn't permeate society the same way. Like when you tell someone that you're a recovered addict, it's like you get kudos and fist bumps and things like that. Um, and being the spouse of someone in recovery or being the partner or spouse of uh, someone who's still struggling is something that people just don't talk about with a lot of pride in any way. Uh, I think it's something that people are scared to talk about. I think it's something that when you look at your life and you say, okay, who am I? It has absolutely defined you in many ways, but that part of our identity is left out of conversations and it's left out of certainly the mainstream world like no one's really discussing what what spouses and and family members go through mm-hmm. in alcoholism addiction they are often referred to as a family disease a family illness and that's because that the it's almost like uh you know the, you put a rotten apple in a batch of good apples and all of a sudden all of them are rotten that's sort of what addiction does to family units and companies and Uh, you know, fellowships like churches and things like that. You get someone like that in there and they start to touch everyone else. And suddenly everyone's sick in some way. Uh, It's, it's, it doesn't discriminate and it wrecks. It absolutely wrecks families. Yeah. You guys go through this stuff. And when you come out the other end of it, there's just not a hell of a lot of resources out there to talk about what you've been through that will hold space for you and your resentment and your anger, which is, I mean, You should be validated. You should be validated. That is okay to feel angry. Like your life has been derailed by something that wasn't your choosing, right? Right. And addiction at at, at some point, so when the disease concept of addiction came into play, one major benefit that it had was it destigmatized addiction as a moral failure, and it started to look at it as a disease of the brain, a disease of the mind. And I look at, okay, so if a disease of the mind exists in just this one person, then how is it that everyone else around them ends up just as sick and we're not calling it anything except for essentially a moral failing? Yeah. You should just leave him. You should just go. What's wrong with you? Why would you stick Why around Why do you put
0: up, put up with that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and like, I don't want to get too, too far off the rails this quickly, no, but keep going when you look at, so love I think can universally be agreed as natural human biology. The capacity to love is unique to us and, and to, to show affection for other people and to self-sacrifice for other people against your best interest is love. That is true love. And what these people will do for an addict and not get it reciprocated does have <laughs> effects that are far-reaching and deep and traumatic. And no one's discussing what's actually going on in the codependent and the children and the family members of these people that are doing this. It's just not discussed. And we have... You know, several theories as to why it's not as popular, but I think it sort of goes back to that that feeling that it's sort of like a moral failing. Yeah. You're pretty emotional right now, you okay?
0: I am. I'm sorry, yeah.
1: No, I think it's important that we this is the side of it that no one gets to see. And if you're listening, you don't see it, but I mean extremely emotional right now because this stuff this is this was your life.
0: But it's hard to speak up and say that I'm angry or that I've been angry about it because like you said, people look at it I'm the bad guy. I'm wrong for feeling angry. Like I it's it's the spouses get told and judged that they're wrong for feeling that way. And I think that's complete bullshit. Yeah. I'm I with think you. So I can feel this way, right? And I think that spouses can feel this way, but they can also recover and they can go and get help themselves too. They can get help with all the trauma that they've gone through. So I'm not saying that this is like sit in that anger and it's all of the addict's fault because it's not all the addict's fault, but it a lot of, a lot of it is. <laughs>
1: a lot of that stuff wouldn't have transpired had that person not been... Abusing drugs and alcohol. Let's just be real about it. Right. Like um, a good friend of mine, uh, the good doctor tells me um, that. That's a show. Is it? Uh (laughs) No. He says that nature loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So a lot of the things that were inside me, they were already there. I believe that they were already there and my environment unlocked them. And you had some of that same stuff, perhaps, but your environment was a direct result of me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not exactly the same thing. Right. You know, like I have caused this in people that otherwise would have been fine. Let's imagine in a different universe, in a parallel dimension, we never met. You'd probably be fine. Just being real, right?
0: Maybe, maybe I would have found somebody else similar that I thought I could love, you know, to change, love them so hard that they would change because if they loved me as much as I love them, they would do what I want them to do.
1: You did always like those project boys, didn't you?
0: Oh yeah. I like bad boys.
1: I know you do. I know you do. And I'm grateful for that.
0: I, I did want to address something that I've noticed recently too, that some recovering addicts say that it is harder to love an addict than it was to get sober. Wow. And that's kind of that. that's kind of powerful because we just love so fucking hard and we're just like trying to give you our all and we don't get it in return. But you can take your alcohol away and you can work on a program and better yourself. And it's very personal. For us, we love you so much, we can't just get rid of you.
1: It's so freaking tricky. And I was, I was messaging someone in the two folk community today and I'm like this, this business of being enmeshed with someone in addiction is so complicated and it's so complex. It's not just as easy as just take care of yourself and leave or just make the decision to go. It's like, you can't help love, right? We were talking about love and like how that is something unique to, to, to humans and how you can, you love someone. And, you want to talk about people saying that you have no control over your addiction. Like you can't necessarily control who you love either. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't help the fact that you love our children. Right. You just, you love them. Yeah. You you can't just make that go away. And yeah. like, we talk about powerlessness. I think that love is a more, I would argue love is more powerless of an emotion than addiction ever was for me. Oh, so damn. I could absolutely see that. Like, the way that you love somebody is it transcends everything. Yeah. It transcends everything. You know, I believe in the power of love and I believe that there is something to that. Um, and the way that codependents display it, it's, it's the most beautiful thing and it's the most tragic thing in the world. Yeah, it really is. Like it's this business of, of dealing with the, with an addict. It's like on, on one hand we should, everyone should hold space for you to say, I want you to be better than you are. And I wish you would just do the right thing. And at the same time, understanding that I can't make you do the right thing. Like all those, those three thoughts are going on in your head all at the same time. How is that not confusing? You know, it is confusing. It is painful. Yeah. And there's just not a whole lot of people advocating that these people have a voice. Yeah. And because at the end of the day, there's not a clean cut solution for it. It's like for, for alcoholics, you can, you can work the 12 steps. A lot of people, recover because of it. And I know Al-Anon exists. I know a ton of people find recovery in Al-Anon. But if you look at the numbers in AA groups versus the numbers in Al-Anon groups, they're not even close. They're not even close. There are many more accessible AA groups all over the world than there are Al-Anon groups, which is striking to me because behind every alcoholic is a family unit that was affected that is also suffering. Right. Right. So there's, you would think they'd be equal, if not more yeah. Al-Anon groups, because for every one, like the addict can touch 25 people on average that were affected by this addiction. Yeah. One person infects 25, yet the numbers are so much smaller in the other fellowship. I don't think it's because it's like ineffective or whatever. I, th- I think that the, the conversation around what this really is and what's going on is just confusing. Yep. And there's so much of the heart involved it's so complex and it takes so much time to recover from and educate yourself on. It's really, really freaking difficult. Yeah. So something that we were talking about and perhaps a reason that this is so damn confusing is when I looked before I ever got sober, I knew what a happy life looked like. I knew what happy, happily ever after looked like for people in my shoes like I knew when addicts got sober what their life could look like because Hollywood told me so. Uh-huh. TV shows told me so. Books told me so. They oh, would sure. they would talk about this, this, you know, this triumphant story of this person that, you know, went to recovery, they hit rock bottom, they started working and they got better, and then everything was happily ever after and life was beautiful. And that's just what it looked like. And so I'm like, okay, that that's what it looks like. But what does happily ever after look like for the partner? It's not really clear to anybody. No, it's not. Because it's it's also split. There are a lot of people who don't make it out of this thing. Right. And their ha- happily ever after looks like a journey of self-empowerment and learning who they really are and what really makes them happy. And they might spend years without anyone else in their life intimately as they just focus on themselves but when they come out of that way stronger right way stronger for others it's it's like our story mm-hmm. which is we're the lucky ones i think we we worked through this together and we there was together an element, separately yeah <laughs> together but separately and there's an element of luck there too like i've seen the stats i'm not going to sit here and say that like i just have all the answers shit maybe we just got lucky to a degree i don't know i'm just grateful for it yeah but that's another version of happily ever after and then for some others Happily ever after looks like learning how to live with someone in active addiction in the same home in the marriage yeah, and finding serenity in that storm. Right. So it's not so much clear what it, what it looks like. And I think it's so individual. It is. It is. So to, for counselors, therapists, for groups to sit out here and talk about it, it's more about like, what do you want? Right. You know, I think that everyone, if you asked them, that's like, I just want my freaking partner back.
0: Or, yeah, I want them to stop using or drinking. But we all know that that's not going to fix the problems.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think that it's not quite defined. And then sometimes it's also unrealistic. I think that the story that Hollywood might sell about me and you Uh would be unrealistic because I don't think that's typical. Right. It's possible, but it's not typical. Right. So it's confusing to people, right? Right. like you're almost preparing yourself for the wrong things. Yeah. When you're working through this.
0: Can I tell you what recovery look like for me?
1: Yeah, please.
0: So for me, it meant to build my self-esteem, become empowered, and be okay with or without you at any time. You know, like I love you to death, but not to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that phrase, like I love you so much, but there are boundaries, you know, like now I, I love myself enough to know what I, that I va- I'm valued. Like I that mean You know something. your worth. I know my worth. Yeah, you know your worth. And I think that is, that should be can be for anybody in any of those situations. I think you're right. That's a constant in any, that, three, should, any of the that three can be the constant point. in any of them is that you love yourself enough to know your worth and what your values are and how you deserve to be treated and what makes you happy and self care. And you know, there's so much that goes into it, but it's, that's what the recovery of a spouse looks like because when you're in it, you don't have those things. You don't ha- know what your values are. You don't have self worth. You're lower than low. So recovery for the spouse. That's what it is for me.
1: I've got a question for you. I know you hate these on the spot. No, it's okay. I'm okay. But we did an episode back in January, I think, where you gave you the account of your story from the yeah from the start to the finish, right up to where we are today.
0: From loving the addict to loving myself.
1: Yeah, it's our most downloaded episode of all time. By the way, it's great. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that one for sure. It's yeah, excellent. It's excellent. But some people find recovery through twelve step programs. Some do it through smart recovery. Some do it through their church groups. Some um, some others on their own personal journeys, whatever that might look like. But how did you figure this out? Um, and, and and do you think? You could have figured it out if I didn't ever get sober.
0: Ooh. I don't know. I don't know if I could have ever figured it out if you didn't get sober. Because a lot of my, I would say that my recovery is like Frankenstein. It's, you know, how we had the Franken spirit type thing. Yeah, we sort of put it all together. Yes, this is like a a Franken recovery. I didn't go to one program that got me better. I did a lot of different things. I learned a lot from your recovery because you would come home and tell me all different things. Um, the Dow, you know, finding finding my spirituality. That was one. I wouldn't have found that without you in,
1: in your program. I wouldn't have found it without a guy in the program either.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> and, and that's been amazing. Um, and then therapy for tons, many, of, therapy. tons of therapy. Like that's been my, Oh, therapy is amazing.
1: A quick break in the action to let you know about an exciting development in the Tufo universe. When we started this thing, we said we would never work with an advertiser or company unless it's something that we believed in and we already use.
0: If you're looking for professional affordable mental health care, look no further than Taylor Counseling Group, your trusted source for accessible therapy in Texas. Taylor Counseling Group believes that everyone deserves premium mental health care regardless of their income level. That's why they offer reliable and affordable services at 12 locations across Texas. They've made affordability a priority. They are in network with most major insurance and the standard private rate is only $100 per session, significantly lower than many other practices offering the same high-quality therapy. They believe Believe that getting the help you need shouldn't drain your wallet. Scheduling an appointment is quick and easy with their convenient online booking tool. No complicated processes or long wait times. They value your time and ensure that you can access the care you deserve without any hassle.
1: At Taylor Counseling Group, they believe in a personalized approach to therapy. The professionally trained counselors offer a diverse range of services, including individual counseling. Couples counseling, family therapy, play therapy for children, and even specialized techniques like cognitive processing and existential psychotherapy. They're here to help you navigate life's challenges and develop a personalized treatment plan tailored to your unique goals. Taylor Counseling Group is your partner on the path to mental wellness. Experience professional, affordable care that puts you first. Visit their website, taylorcounselinggroup.com or call them today to schedule an appointment and tell them two couple sent you. A link and phone number is going to be available in the show notes. And back to the action.
0: Um uh, self-help books and then self-care. So finding what brings me joy and taking care of myself physically. You know, working out, dancing, eating whole foods, doing things that make me uncomfortable, trying new things. Like all of that is part of my recovery. Confidence
1: building that goes with that.
0: Yes. A lot of confidence building that goes with that. So basically just building up my self-esteem and actually putting a lot of things aside, a lot of things on the back burner and focusing on me
1: like blinders. You sort of had to force yourself to be selfish.
0: I did. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's selfish.
1: I I hate how selfish is like a bad I word. I don't think it is. I mean, that, actually I mean it in the ter- best way.
0: Selfish means something differently than what society has made selfish to be. And I, I haven't done the research on it, but I did learn in therapy many years ago when I first started. She gave me a paper about the word selfish and it really opened my eyes to what it really means. And self-care is not selfish. What we think in society, what selfish is, is not what it is. That's Addicts totally are selfish.
1: Like, all yourself fuck. <laughs> you, what you were doing was not selfish. By <laughs> because any all
0: means. I try to do is help you and you won't accept it.
1: <laughs> okay. Something else is just on my mind. Um, we talked about the disease concept of addiction and when that was developed and how that really changed addiction treatment as a whole. Because they started to look at it not as a moral failing, but as something that People needed treatment for. So rather than locking everyone up in prison who had a drug or an alcohol problem, um, they opened up treatment centers and they, they developed different ways for them to recover. You know, the 12 steps are still around and still, I mean, the most effective uh, form of treatment for, I guess, you know, addiction in general. But NA is essentially the same thing, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but it it also birthed other movements. So uh, Refuge Recovery is a newer one that I just found out about that I think is awesome. Smart Recovery. Um, Life Ring. Um, there's several others. Lots. There's There's tons of different ways to work it because science as a whole started to look at this thing and figure, how can we tackle this? And so I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to medicine. I don't I
0: don't
1: <laughs> I don't get on conspiracy theories about anything else, but I do believe in the power of business and lobbyists. Yep. So when I look at codependency, what are the symptoms of codependency and why is this not looked at like a medical issue that can be treated with a combination of therapeutics, maybe medicines, maybe some other things? Uh why have we not agreed on a course of treatment for this? And I think that it's it's complex in its nature and I understand that it's very complex and it's very individual, but I can't help but think about the stats that we've, we've gone through before where, you know, one addict can affect 25 people and the chances of children of an alcoholic or an addict becoming addicts or alcoholics themselves or engaging in some kind of self harm activity like, um, uh, like cutting or eating disorders or things like that. It's, it's much higher than people who were in a control group who didn't deal with this uh-huh. so this thing has far-reaching effects why is no one looking at this and saying we've got to help these people yeah what's your theory i, I would love to, so another so before we, so i would love to see documentation and stats on rates of depression obesity self-harm suicide amongst partners and spouses of alcoholics and addicts sometime after either separating or being in that relationship when no one's in recovery. Uh And I, I would guess they're higher than a control group. Yeah. Like it's at people's interest to treat this stuff, but I don't know. Is it because they sell more pharmaceuticals like antidepressant meds to people who haven't dealt with it? Yeah. Is it because it keeps people's pockets full? I don't know, but it makes no sense why addiction has been looked at this way, but this hasn't. Yeah. Such a good point. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Your environment can cause issues like this. We've yeah. agreed on that. Everyone's agreed on that, that. The environment can cause issues. Yes. And that some people aren't just born with depression. They develop it over time from trauma. Right. So why aren't we looking at this? Why is no one looking at this? Well, I just, you know, I don't, we're I don't here, know. We're
0: putting it out there.
1: Yeah, maybe. And like, I i don't know. One of, one of my dreams in life is to run a study on this stuff. Yeah. And to get insurance to start paying for this crap. Yeah pay for treatment
0: well like, yeah because y'all get it paid for
1: yeah they pay for ours but they'll look at the spouse and be like no nope, nope. sorry sorry you're fine
0: you you made a decision like what the
1: fuck yeah you have a moral failing just go back to the drawing board on that that's, that's what wild. they'll tell you wild i would that is a mission of mine in life before i die i would love to be part of the the group the cause that changes that yeah that would be huge it's powerful um so let's talk about when people talk about the moral failing of it all. And I think that we talked about, you know, why is this not discussed in Hollywood? Why are there no documentaries? We haven't talked about that yet. Oh, that was, oh, that was before we cut. This is, this is (laughs) part two.
0: We did actually cut and edit. Well, we didn't edit. But I we asked to her a question over. earlier
1: about five minutes ago and she just stared at me. No,
0: you, didn't, you did because we were talking about something <laughs> that I was like, wait, wait, we weren't okay. going to discuss that because so, that was a stupid thing. So when
1: we were on the documentaries about Bill W. and whatnot, and you were talking about...
0: Yeah, the whole point of this was that I wanted to dive into some research onto why there aren't documentaries on yeah, the why are these families. Why are these stories?
1: Why are these not
0: success why stories? Why aren't there many resources? You know, and this is what I came up with. I actually asked some people on social media to give me their input on it. And then I did some research. So first it's limited audience appeal. So what does that mean, Matt? So I'm making you talk because I can't talk <laughs> <laughs> like I want to talk You're struggling like man. I really want to talk this this topic y'all I'm so passionate about like it is I can't it, it puts a flame in me like I, w- I could talk all day but like do this because
1: documentaries <laughs> attract a wide audience in general or they are so niche that they've got a following so it might be like a, a cult following of some kind let's say you made a documentary about Dungeons and Dragons. People who love Dungeons and Dragons would certainly watch that, and they are out there in numbers. Yeah. When it comes to addiction, it's not just addicts watching these things. I would guess that less addicts are watching them, and it's more about people who love stories of triumph over adversity. Uh-huh. Just like that documentary I watched on the people that ran the marathons. You know, I don't run at all. I don't run unless I'm being chased by a bear. Yeah. But I watched it because it was like this awesome story about this thing. So when it comes to codependency, limited audience appeal and the sense that since we don't know what happily ever happily ever after looks like, what story do you tell and how do you make that appealing?
0: Ooh, Does that
1: make sense? Yeah. So, so that channels- was better than
0: how I described it in the other episode. Thank you. <laughs> Cause obviously I was way off so base.
1: I think that there are certain networks that do specialize in things like that. And people will rag on like Hallmark channel and like lifetime a lot, but you love Hallmark dude. Too. Great, I love it. <laughs> Lifetime, love it. Like they're great stories on there, man. I've I've sat down with you and like, what's on TV? Like, what are you watching? And you're like some movie on Lifetime, or whatever. Our and
0: daughter's day came from a Lifetime movie.
1: Boom, there you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> we love the channel, but ch- uh, networks like that, but you know, maybe it ends up on something like that. But as far as a wider audience, someone who has dealt with this, a celebrity, someone of note, has not come out and told their story yet. They haven't come out and told their story and made others interested because here's the fact is that more people deal with this than they deal with addiction. Yeah. That's a fact. Yes, it is. If one addict affects 25 people, there are 25 times the amount of people who deal with this than deal with actual addiction in itself. Yep. It's just not as sexy of a story because it hasn't been told yet in a way that resonates with people. Ooh. And I hope that we do that. Hell yes. Hope that we do Let's that. Let's go uh another thing is stigma and privacy concerns that's yeah. another reason that it's just not out there we think and that we've talked about the stigma related to this and how it's sort of looked at as a moral failing and i think that that is true it's like addiction was once accompanied with this major social stigma but that's sort of been alleviated like tattoos used to be the same way now everyone's got t- tattoos your doctor might have tattoos the guy that runs finance at your company probably has a sleeve of some kind you yeah know? yeah it's just out there it's becoming more and more accepted this is a conversation people still aren't having and it's one that some people are probably uncomfortable having because they would be the only ones saying it yeah you know yeah. so it's just not as many people willing to speak about it um and then i think you should talk about the next one the sensitivity
0: oh well it would be really hard uh, because it's it's we're it's deeply personal and emotional for us and filming these kind of stories would be really challenging for people to, you know, interview us because you have to come in with respect and empathy and really talk to us in a manner that isn't so direct because we're sensitive. We've been beat up, you know, like your don't, empaths in general too. Right. You don't don't come at me with your blunt Bluntness, you know, come at me with more compassion. Interviewer asked,
1: why didn't you just leave them? Right, you know? right, right. It's right. like, dude, right. I should just choke you. Right. Did like, you yeah. just ask me that? Don't
0: come out don't we're scared to be judged. You know, we're judged by everybody. So come come at this with compassion and it might be better. But a lot of filmmakers may not know how to do that.
1: Yeah, and then the other ones we came up with were sort of like a hodgepodge of like a lack of access because so many people aren't talking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, think about going out on a I a weekend trip with your girlfriends, right? Maybe five or six of you, you know, maybe one of them, the other ones you kind of know by proxy because your kids go to the same school or whatever. They all sit down, they're talking about life and things like that. Like they're probably not talking about this man. And you would feel like you were on an Island by yourself.
0: Yeah. And if they do bring it up there, I've, I've had many people who bring it up with their, their friends and they don't like to talk about it anymore because they don't understand them at all.
1: Yeah. It's just hard to relate if you haven't yeah. been there before. Yeah. Uh, and then a misunderstanding or misrepresentation, I think, it's is sick, yeah. you know, kind of this along the same lines that if you if you haven't been there and you don't know what it's like, and you're in it, it's difficult to articulate as well to really explain what this is like, right? <laughs> you know, it's like this forgotten syndrome and this forgotten partner. It's 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 tough to to I think portray that in a way that that pays respect and homage to those that suffer with this and, and deal with this. Um, you know. The last thing I wanted to cover is this concept of loyalty to a fault and where that comes from. And we talked about love being a primary driver of a lot of this, Uh right? But there are some people that I have spoken with. I know that you've interacted with as well, who will tell you in so many words that like they can't stand their spouse and they haven't wanted to be married for a very long time, but they're together because they're loyal, right? They're just loyal to a fault in some ways. And till the wheels fall off is like our battle cry for, it was our thing. This is our thing, right? That's the name of like our story. Yeah. But I think that you can apply that in so many different ways. Like I love for people to apply that in the, in the realm of self-development and to say like, I'm never giving up on, on, I'm never going to be a finished product. I'm always going to be a work in progress. I will keep working until the wheels fall off. Yep. But I think people will hear that and think that that's the only right answer to things like this. Uh-huh. And it's like I'm just not giving up, period. Right. At the detriment of themselves, them, their children. Uh-huh. And then they feel shame for that, you yeah. know, and it's like god man, like I just want to give you a hug, like there's no shame in this game. Right. There's no shame in that. Uh-uh. There's no shame for wanting to stick by somebody. Yeah. It just comes to a point where you have to ask yourself like what am I costing myself? Exactly. What am I costing myself every time I, I go back or I enable or I do this or, th- you know, yeah, that's, that's the, the, the most difficult part. Yeah. Like what's the actual cost of that For and, sure. the, and the opportunity cost of that. So what are you not able to do with your life because you were doing the other thing instead? uh huh Like the opportunity cost of codependency is massive. And that's eventually what gets people to a point where they either figure out a way to work through recovery with their partner uh-huh. or they decide, you know what? I can't do this for the rest of my life. Right. I just can't. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to sit around here and watch you kill yourself. I can't. I love you, but I cannot Yeah, do this powerful. because I have a life too. Like life is not a dress rehearsal. Like there's no reset button. You can't just start over tomorrow. Uh uh-uh. Like before you know it, you'll be, you know, in your sixties or seventies wondering where the hell the time went. Yeah. That happens.
0: Yeah. I got a great, be-
1: I got a gray beard, man. I feel yeah. like I was 20 yesterday. Yeah. It happens quick. It does. The crap goes by fast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so true. So anyway. Uh did I talk about the vulnerable part in this episode?
1: I don't think so. Run us through it.
0: Where I said that, you know, it's it's very there's stigma to this and we don't talk uh hold on, let me think about this. We try to be vulnerable in our marriage.
1: Oh yeah, this is a good one. Did
0: I say this in here?
1: No, just go ahead. Okay. Just run it.
0: <laughs> okay. So we try to be vulnerable in our marriage, but we get shit on by the addict, right? Like we've over and over again, we try to be vulnerable. So why you will tell would Tell me how you
1: feel, and I will tell you that's stupid. Yes. You shouldn't feel that way. Yes. That's dumb. Here's why it's yes. wrong.
0: Yes. Or blame, you know, victim blame. So many, yeah, all that stuff. So that, much crap. So why would we, we want to expose ourselves? Or why would we want to be vulnerable somewhere else in other territories? It's so hard. Because to be we're so scared that. of that. Backlash. I don't I really don't know if we discussed this or this. So I don't think we I apologize if we doubled this.
1: So here's what happened. We started recording this.
0: We just said that.
1: Well, I just want to make it super clear in case someone's (laughs) listening, going, These idiots. (laughs) So we were recording. This
0: is why we don't do this. We have to get it wood shot.
1: Yeah, we don't really edit or anything. So we were talking. And then there was some stuff. There was a, we we make notes and we print out copies and so She gave me the copy, and there was a huge section she just xed out and didn't want to cover. But we didn't discuss it first, so I started covering it, <laughs> and she just looks at me like I'm an idiot. No, I'm sorry, that's and my fault. And she's like, "Dude, turn it off. You're supposed to read my
0: mind, damn it." <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, what, she had this awesome, this awesome take on vulnerability and how you're essentially trained throughout the course of marriage and your relationship that it's not okay to be vulnerable. And in fact, you should just avoid that altogether. Yeah. And so when it comes time for you to recover and work through this stuff, it's really tough to be vulnerable story. And I just want to shout out every person that has messaged us, left a comment who has posted in the community and has shared the deepest, darkest part of your closet with us. Like that vulnerability, man, that's powerful. It
0: is powerful. And it is healing for you. It's is, is,
1: It's beautiful. It is appreciated. Others see it.
0: I know it sucks, but damn, it's it's huge for you to get it out there.
1: Yeah. Some people are just willing to stand up there and be like, yeah, this is what I'm going through. And it's so hard to do. And for those of you that aren't there yet, I'm not criticizing no. at all. That's, it's okay. Totally okay. I understand why why it's not comfortable to talk about. Absolutely. I totally get it. Especially on social media, you know, it's like you've got a picture of your family like from the fall photo shoot and everyone's all happy and then you're talking about like what's really going on, which is kind of like this dichotomy of this life that we live. It's like this life that we want everyone to see and then we have the actual life behind closed doors and it looks nothing like the photos that we present. Right? You know, I used to say all the time when I was like newly sober that like, Oh, I was around. Yeah, I made sure that I was in the Facebook photo, so it looked like I was a present father and a present <laughs> husband. I would I'd be there and smile and then oh, I was, yeah. and then I was off to the races. You know, yep. I can fake anything in a photo. Yeah, you know, but what I see when I see these photos, primarily from women, men as well, what I see is like this is what is being stolen from them. And I think they have every right in the world to be destroyed and hurt and, and hold space for them while they're angry about this yeah. and resentful. Yes. Like this is, it's okay to feel that way. It it's is okay, okay, man. It, it is. This thing has ripped your family apart. It's okay. Yes, it is. It's, and it, I it, but, love every one of you.
0: But do not put all that hate and blame into other people either. Like we, there's a process to this, right? It is okay for you to feel this way. Give yourself space and time.
1: It's such a process, and I think it's one that's measured in years.
0: Help, yeah, and but we can help guide you through that, you know, healing to get through it.
1: Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep bringing our story. We'll keep bringing the content. We'll keep doing the research. We'll keep putting stuff out there, and we are working on some really really cool stuff behind the scenes that we hope to present to you guys this fall. Yeah, yes, uh, in an effort to help as many people as possible on a scale. I can't wait. I'm sorry. She's yawning. I think I'm losing. Did you take NyQuil again? I did not. You over the boozing on the NyQuil?
0: <laughs> not yet. I've got it. I'll take it around nine thirty. <laughs> boozing on the NyQuil. Oh
1: my gosh. Okay. <laughs> See,
0: Matt used to be the guy who chugged the NyQuil, and I'm the one who has the little measuring cup, making sure it's perfectly thirty. You just swig it, man. And he's like, gul, gul, gul.
1: I don't mess with that crap unless I have to. And to this day, I still won't drink the stuff with the alcohol in it.
0: I know, but that's just how it used to be. Those. Oh yeah, I
1: used to just take that stuff to the straight to the dome, man. Just take it down. Yeah, it tastes like crap. I'm. I mean, i do not want to enjoy it. But no. liquor did too.
0: But I want you partners to have a voice. Y'all, speak up when you can, or just know that you're not alone.
1: Yeah this this episode was constructed by Paige. This is something that she's been on for. She's been on. You've been on a tear with this for four or five days now. I feel like, I mean, just really, really in it and. She really wanted everyone to have this message, this voice out there that you matter. Yeah. You matter. Yep. All right. Well, um, we've mentioned it before, but we haven't mentioned it for a bit now, but we are part of a foundation called the Counseling for the Future Foundation. And the Counseling for the Future Foundation is raising money to put therapists, would-be therapists through school debt-free. So many, many therapists are out there working their butt off in school, working two jobs, and then they graduate with a ton of student debt. And then they go to be an associate in their field, which they have to do is mandatory, and they're unable to make ends meet. So a lot of them end up leaving the field because the student debt just paralyzes their budget. So the Counseling for the Future Foundation is working to change that. We have actually just graduated our very first therapist debt-free.
0: That's so awesome. So-
1: We have a website, counselingfutures.org, where you can go and donate. And any amount is fine. If you have a penny to give, a penny would be appreciated. Literally every dollar that you donate goes straight to the scholarship. We don't have any administrative fees. We are all volunteers. No one on the board gets paid for anything. This is truly an altruistic movement to help people get into the field so that whenever you need help, When you pick up the phone, there's a therapist there because there just aren't enough to meet demand. The stats are out there. You can read them. They're on the website. This is all factual. I'm not trying to skimp you for a penny. (laughs) This is us trying to help people. So if you haven't checked out Counseling for Future Foundation, please head over to the website and check that out. It's also available on our website. Yeah. Okay. I think that's all we've got for this time. Uh, Are we going to be back Friday? I don't know. Are we? maybe
0: oh you're gonna make me talk again with this cold
1: <laughs> if, if we get enough uh people saying they want a friday episode this week we will dump a friday episode so okay. let us know okay thank you to everyone who has interacted with us if you've just found us welcome if you've been with us for a while thank you so much for your support we will keep bringing it until next time i am matt
0: i'm paige and we'll
1: see you bye